the Apollo Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Cash Landing, the show where we fall ass backwards into the money and you get richer just by listening. I am your co-host, Ben, here joined, as always, by my highly esteemed co-host, Aaron. Aaron, how are we doing this week? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Got another week of football coming up. We are inching closer to basketball season, which I'm very excited about. We're going to talk about a little bit. Baseball, the stove is uh, heating up ever so slightly. And uh, yeah, it just feels like we got some sports coming back, so I'm feeling pretty good. Is it is it a hot stove if it's just everybody losing their job? Yeah, if it's, if it's just people expecting to be you know respected and liked by their teams and given a couple million dollars and instead they're just cut cold and made free agents, is that a hot stove? But I don't know. I think it is for me. Maybe not so much for the players. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, if if you are a listener and you're just looking for the daily fantasy content, make sure to go to the description. There's always timestamps in the description. Um, we're going to talk about the MLB for a second and then outline our plans for the NBA. And then we're going to get into the week 13 DFS slate. So if that's what you're looking for, go ahead and click to the DFS slate uh, timestamp in the description. But for now, we're just going to jump right into the to the MLB news. And the MLB news is basically just that everybody lost their job in um, the arbitration process. There was not a tender to be found, Aaron. No, it's safe to say uh, Raising Canes is not the official sponsor of the MLB anytime soon, Ben. <laughs> Just absolutely no tenders. If you're if you're confused about what we're talking about, <laughs> um, the long and short of the arbitration process is basically all of the players under team control. So early on in their careers, uh, they are on a year to year salary basis, and they are judged as to how much they should be paid by a panel of arbitration people um a bunch of teams this year decided that they don't even want to pay their cost controllable players coming off this pandemic year with no revenue and so we're going to briefly go over about 15 names that all got dropped for no real reason and they would probably make your team better regardless of who your team is so i'm going to start off with Corey knabel um who got dropped by the brewers and then the dodgers immediately snapped him up and signed him to a one-year deal or i'm sorry traded uh like future consideration for him and he's now on a one-year arbitration deal with the Dodgers because the Dodgers are extremely smart and the Brewers are not. Yeah, that one specifically was kind of a gut punch for uh, any fan of a team that's not the Dodgers because you one, literally one minute you see a tweet and it's like, oh my god, Corey Knebel is available. He'd be a perfect he'd be a perfect fit for my team. And I think literally like what was it been like 16, 17 minutes later, Ken Rosenthal is like, oh by the way, the Dodgers already snapped up Corey Knebel. <laughs> Yeah, the Dodgers are just a smart organization, and you know we we malign the Brewers enough on this podcast. I think I'll I'll probably not do it uh, as much. And you know, Corey Knebel has had injury issues, and I understand a little bit why they would get rid of him. But at the same time, though, maybe the one weakness in the Los Angeles Dodgers you could possibly find is the bullpen going forward because they they lost Caleb Ferguson, Jake McGee. Uh, Blake Trinan, basically everybody in the bullpen. And, you know, here they go, already making moves. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good call. We we mash on the Brewers and their lack of starting pitching a lot. But, you know, I don't think we should be doing that right now because, you know, surely they're sitting there right now putting together a big pitch for uh, Trevor Bauer, right? Making them their number one priority. I'm sure they're <laughs> they're definitely focused on Trevor Bauer and definitely not focused on Hans or Alberto. Right, Ben? Right? <laughs> You and I both know that they might go get Jake Odorizzi and call it an offseason. Just Jake Odorizzi and then just scrap up every single outfielder available and be like, oh, we don't need Trevor Bauer. Any <laughs> oh, they're, they're definitely bringing 
Ben Ben Gamble back. I could just see it. Uh, well, we'll make sure well, to make fun of them when they do. But I'll let you carry on with this list. Yeah, so speaking of outfielders, there's a lot of corner outfielders who also got dropped who are probably better than the corner outfielder, than at least one corner outfielder on your baseball team. Uh, those include Adam Duvall, Cal Schwarber, Eddie Rosario, and Nomar, I'm sorry, Nomar Mazzara and David Dahl. So that's five, cor- David Dahl can probably play center, but that's five corner outfielders um, that are all very good and are all unemployed. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've talked about it to you off air. I'm a fan of the Diamondbacks who recently locked up David Peralta. We signed Cole Calhoun last year to a multi-year deal. I was pretty happy with, you know, that extension and that signing at the time. And now I'm just sitting here a year later after the Dimebacks had a disappointing year. And I'm just like, I would definitely be fine with just us being able to scrap for some outfielders this offseason instead of being locked into the team that was not great and not fun to watch last year. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, as an Astros fan whose entire outfield just just hit free agency at the same time, I would be perfectly fine with any of Schwarber, Rosario, Mazzara, Dahl. I mean, in in any corner, I'd be fine with Dahl playing center field. Like, it's just nuts. All these people that are losing their jobs. But even you know, aside from corner outfielders, there's also Hanso Alberto, the the contact hitting Orioles middle infielder. Um, there's Archie Bradley, the former Diamondbacks closer who was traded to the Reds, Michael Franco, Hansel Robles, the MVP vote getter himself, Ryan Tapera, Tony Walters, Matt Wisler, Jonathan Holder. And actually, I mean, I said Hansel Robles, but the entire Angels bullpen, basically, which, as you know, is a notable position of strength for the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> they all got non-tendered. It's like six names, and they they made up, you know, 70% of their bullpen innings this year. So they pretty much, they, they all just squatted up, you know, got in the car together, and they drove to Chick-fil-A just to find out it was Sunday, and then just there were no tenders to be had for that whole bullpen just, group. Yeah, no tenders for the whole Los Angeles Angels bullpen. Anyways, I mean... Basically, my my take for this whole offseason is just that I have no clue what's going on anymore because we saw Kevin Gossman got a $19 million one-year deal. Uh, Trevor May signed a two-year $16 million deal. I I don't know how Kevin Gossman is $10 million more than Kyle Schwarber or Eddie Rosario. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, the Gossman deal was weird at the time. Like A lot of people thought that was an overpay and I think we're going to look back after the off season is over and see what kind of deals everyone else gets. And that's just going to confirm our thoughts that the Gausman deal was just kind of wild and probably an overpay, even though he has been a little better ever since he got out of Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he had a great year and you, you know, he saw the uptick in Velo, but he's a, he's a fastball splitter pitcher, which is notoriously volatile. And I don't know. I, I just don't get it. But anyways, if you need a corner outfielder or a relief arm or a corner infielder for that matter with Michael Franco and Hunter Alberto, uh, they're available and you should probably be angry at your owners if they don't go get one. Yeah. And I mean, just to reiterate, this is not, these are just guys that recently became free agents. You know, we still have a whole list of free agents on top of it. And these guys are just suddenly added to the market. So there's definitely a lot of free agents, you know, not a ton of huge names this off season, but there's enough and there's enough impact players for sure to make it worth monitoring. No doubt. Yeah. And so just other hot stove stuff, uh, sort of almost clerical things to go over. Uh, the Angels traded for Jose Iglesias um, from the Orioles. So Angelton Simmons is basically gone, I would imagine. He's almost certainly playing elsewhere. He's a free agent. So the Orioles just lost their entire middle infield between Hunter Alberto and Jose Iglesias. I'm not really sure what they're doing, but I mean, whatever. I mean, they're still rebuilding, but I don't think the Orioles farm system is, is that great. I would 
you would think they would they would have held on to one of them. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You're kind of the bigger prospect guy for sure between the two of us. Do they have any middle infield guys ready to step up for this year? Or are they kind of going to be scraping. Not that I know of. I, I'm expecting sort of a stopgap signing, but Jose Iglesias would have already been a stopgap guy. So I, I don't know. I mean, they must have. It must have been a good value trade. The they haven't even released the names of who the Angels are trading for Jose Iglesias yet. Yeah, I mean, they're the Orioles. I'm sure they'll figure something out. Very sound organization always. <laughs> Uh, then let's see the Mets signed Trevor May. I already talked about it two years, 16 million. I, that's a great signing for them. He was my number two reliever in terms of value on the board right behind Liam Hendricks. So, uh, definitely a good signing for them. He's also very likable and, and going to be a good bridge guy to Edwin Diaz. It feels like a big year for the Mets. It feels like they really need to, I know there's been a lot of reports that they're going to be really aggressive this off season with the new ownership, you know, but you have guys like DeGrom and Pete Alonzo, Syndergaard should be coming back healthy. You have Stroman, I believe, unless it's a free agent. You can correct me on that. But No, they he, he accepted the qualifying offer. Yeah, it just feels like a big year for the Mets, and this could kind of be a turning point year for them in this first year of new ownership. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, me and you are always sort of high on the Mets before the year starts, and then the injuries happen. I, the roster always looks so good on paper, but, you know, it's definitely up to the new ownership to shore up those injury holes and – Having $20 million from Robinson Cano getting popped for PEDs, again, definitely helps. Yeah, blessing in disguise there. <laughs> uh, let's see. The Sort of the last thing is that the Royals signed Mike Miner for two years and $18 million with a third-year team option. So they obviously signed him to be a starter, not a reliever for that money. In this market, that's actually a lot of money. Um, that's not a game changer. It's still the, the Royals. I, we're not expecting anything from them. But he is only 60 games removed from two All-Star seasons, so... I mean, that might be a frontline guy for the Royals. Yeah, I have no hot takes when it comes to Mike Miner right now, but it does seem like a solid signing. You know, it's not going to kill them $9 million a year. They're not going to be in contention anytime soon. So maybe some of the younger guys can learn something and maybe he'll be really effective and they can push for a wild card run if everything goes perfectly. So yeah, nothing crazy there with Mike Miner. Yeah, and so that's that's basically all the hot stove stuff. Um I, we're going to get a lot more into baseball as the odds come out and as uh, you know, the off season progresses, but uh, teams still don't know if they have DHs. So they're not really going to be signing a lot of these people. This It's just a poorly run league at this point. Yeah. I mean, all the baseball fans, this is the time of year where they start to get really excited about free agent signings, but we just mentioned how a huge part of the free agent free agency this year is corner outfield bats. A lot of power hitters. It's hard for teams to analyze and make these decisions on guys like that when they don't even know if there's going to be a DH in the National League. So I would really like for baseball to get that figured out here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely rough. But anyways, I mean, you know, as, as the odds come out, we will definitely have more the potent insight. But for now, it's just I kind of wanted to mention how how weird this is because it's very strange. Yeah, it's very strange, very frustrating. But I. Uh, Ben, we got other news to talk about. You got a new point guard on your team. How are you feeling? <laughs> I actually, I honestly feel great. I understand that the value on the trade probably isn't amazing, but uh, I, I guess I'll stop bearing the lead here. Uh, the Rockets traded Russell Westbrook for John Wall and a protected future first round pick. Um, I was not a fan of Russell Westbrook's time in Houston, not because I dislike him as a person or anything. He's actually a, by all accounts, he's a great teammate, but I just didn't like what he offered on the court. And John Wall, he's is not a perfect fit by any means, but he does seem like a better fit than Russell Westbrook with James Harden. Yeah. I mean, we all thought it would be weird to see Westbrook playing off the ball and it, it was pretty weird. 
I also think it's going to be very weird to see John Wall playing off the ball, but he's just going to have to do it because if we know anything about James Harden is he is best with the ball in his hands. So he's going to have the ball in his hands. It's going to be weird for John Wall, but you know, the Westbrook thing, I was pretty happy when I saw this deal because I knew it would lead to a lot of funny content between John Wall and James Harden. And oh, God. The, the strip clubs in Houston are just absolutely going crazy right now. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely nuts. And then, you know, this is the opposite of what we wanted, Ben. We've been preaching for years, please free Bradley Beal. And this is whatever the opposite of freeing someone is, like locking them up, <laughs> I guess. That just happened because... Bradley Beal has been unfreed, but it still makes the Wizards more intriguing overall. So I'm happy with that, I guess. Yeah, Bradley Beal is now locked in the Russell Westbrook prison of triple doubles. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they, I mean, they should still know Bradley Beal is the number one option in that offense. But if Westbrook doesn't get behind that, then it won't really matter. But yeah, I mean, we'll get into the Wizards overall season outlook more. We've got our, uh, the the lines are out. We've got our NBA pod that we've been teasing for a while now. We will be recording it this week, so be on the lookout for that. And we'll talk about the Wizards there. I actually think they'll fare pretty well in the East as far as the regular season goes, at least. Yeah, the uh, the tentative plan is to record that podcast Wednesday night, so it will it will probably be up you know Thursday in the wee hours of the morning. Um, if that doesn't come to fruition, we'll probably tweet something out or something at Cash Landing Pod if you want to keep up with the updates we we did the same thing on our old radio show we had an old sports talk radio show um where we we did all of the nba season lines and i think aaron was slightly more accurate than i was in his picks back then i don't have the data on me right now to to be 100 percent sure of that but that's how i remember it and i was just i remember being so horribly wrong about the miami heat that i think i should just have had all my picks nullified on principle yeah, I mean, I was really excited to tally up all of our picks. We picked every single over-under. I was going to go back, look at all of them, see how we did. But, I mean, the season got canceled and shortened, so I wasn't able to do that. But I was on track to do a little better than you. But, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited. I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed our shows when we did the Eastern Conference and Western Conference over-unders. It's just a good format to talk about what we see from each team and then you know, get some bets in and analyze where we really think we've got some chances to make some money there. Oh, and of course, if, if you think we won't be joking about these NBA franchises, you are, you have been living under a rock. Oh, NBA is the best content league, man. It always gives us stuff to make fun of and laugh about. That's one of the reasons we both love the NBA so much. I can't believe Russell Westbrook is, is back with Scott Brooks. I can't believe it. Oh dude, two peas in the pod. (laughs) Now they've got Bradley Beal. They've got the whole city of Washington, which has just been dying for a good team. Now they get the Russell Westbrook experience. Russell Westbrook has been traded for, you know, at the time, what thought to be two of the worst contracts in the league. Chris Paul contract looks a little better now. Maybe the wall contract will follow that and look better. But this is two off seasons in a row. Westbrook has just been flipped basically straight up for terrible contracts. Yeah, it's 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 rough. The uh, The athletic point guard you know, decline with age is, is certainly something to watch, but anyway, we'll, we'll get into all that on Wednesday. We'll talk about it a lot. That pod will be up Thursday morning, probably actually probably like super late Wednesday night. But, um, with all that being said, we should probably just go ahead and jump into NFL week 13 DFS. Um, how was your DFS last week? Mine was, mine was iffy. I I made probably 80% of my money back. I, I missed out on some, on some people definitely hit on, you know, the Gabriel Davis call Tyreek Hill, um, but also missed on some others. Yeah, I actually had a good week. I cashed my cash game lineup. 
I cashed a millionaire maker, a couple bucks there. Really, I mean, the big thing was I ended up playing Tyree Kill in cash. So that was pretty much an automatic win after he dropped, you know, 50 fantasy points. And then I locked in Austin Eckler to every single lineup I made, which I said that I would on the pod if Eckler was active and Balaj was out, which ended up being the case. And man, that ended up being one of my best calls of the year. It would have been even better if he would have fallen into the end zone because he would have ended up with like 32, 33 points. But even so, that ended up being a really good call. And yeah, we talked about Gabriel Davis. All the quarterbacks we talked about did pretty well. So yeah, I actually had a really nice week last week. Yeah, uh, Barker texted me, actually, a friend of the program, uh, uh, our friend Taylor Barker. He texted me. He was like, that that was a really good call on Tyreek Hill. That went exactly the way you said it would. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Todd Bowles blitzes a lot, and Tyreek Hill is literally the fastest player alive. So I definitely saw that one coming. Yeah, I would have had a really good week if I was right on the other side of that game because I said to play Tyreek Hill, but then I also said to run it back with Antonio Brown. And I was really high on Antonio Brown, and it just didn't work out, man. Brady didn't find him. It was more of a Mike, Mike Evans, Evans week. Yeah. yeah. The Mike Evans week. But I had him correlated in every single lineup together, so I could have had a Mahomes-Hill-Kelsey lineup that went off. If Antonio Brown just would have ran it back on the other side, it would have been a real nice lineup for me with Eckler. But you know what, Ben? That's the good thing about DFS. We have a we have another chance this week to win even more money. Yeah, and uh, with that chance, we're going to go ahead and start out at the quarterback position, as we always do. Um, I'm going to look at the top here. I'm I'm fading everybody until we get to Rodgers. I might play a little bit of Deshaun Watson. I'll probably have one Texan stack in a in a tournament, but I'm fading Kyler. I'm fading Russ. I might play one Deshaun, and I'm probably playing a lot of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I actually had the exact same look at it here as you did. Um, is it fun to just completely neglect and fade Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray? Absolutely not. Is there a chance we get burned by that? Like for sure. So if you feel really strongly about Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, by all means, those guys are always solid. So go for it. But you know, if you really listen to our advice here, it might not be the best week for those two guys. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Ben. The quarterback position kind of starts for me with Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert in that little tier by themselves. Um, Rodgers, I definitely feel safer than Herbert, but Herbert does have a nice matchup. It is in Los Angeles in the Dome on the fast turf. He's got all his weapons healthy, but yeah, I think Rodgers is probably the safest quarterback play on the slate. It's not a bad price. It's a nice matchup, and man, he's just locked in right now. He's absolutely cooking. Yeah, I mean, he looks really good. I think the only concern with Rodgers is maybe just that the Packers get up too early and it's the Aaron Jones-Jamal Williams show, but I would be surprised. Um, I think he's he's very safe and... I mean, I do want to talk about Deshaun Watson just because he's probably going to be running a lot this game just by virtue of like all of his weapons are gone. Um, we don't know what the offense is going to look like. I mean, I, I I only want to say it because I definitely advocate if you're playing a lot of tournaments to play a Texan stack and I'm even going to, you know, define the exact Texan stack I'm going to play later. But I think those two are, are in play. I, I also agree Justin Herbert is in play. Uh, I don't mean to just gloss over him. Uh, he's, he's a good play because the, the Patriots' pass defense is just horrible. And he's, you know, the best quarterback of all time. So <laughs> he's, and he's also – he's pretty good. I, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, my, my, my bills kind of uh, kind of exposed him a little bit last week. Yeah, the, the game plan was pretty good. Um, he had a couple drops, but, he you know, as much as I love Justin Herbert, I'm very excited about the future. He does need to work on the short touch passes just a little bit. He, he throws like 100 mile power fastballs on these, you know, four yard slants. He could probably cool it a little bit there. But uh, yeah, the Bills defense did show up. So I'll give you a little bit of credit there. You did win the cash landing bowl. Yeah. Did, wait, didn't we have a gentleman's bet last week? I don't even remember who won that one, but I feel like we had one. No, we had one two weeks ago and you won it. 
Okay. Um, I forget what it was, but you are up four to one. We didn't make one last week, but yeah, you're up four to one. So I, I'm gonna have to force a couple of gentlemen's bets here pretty soon. I'm running out. Of I, time. I, I have one in the in the tight end area. If if when we get there, uh, you can decide to take it or leave it. Ooh, all right, I'm intrigued. I might do that. But <laughs> yeah, as far as the Texans go this week, it sounds like I'm more out than you are. Even though you definitely, you know, you, I'm not saying you're all in because you're not. I'm, but I'm a, yeah, I'm definitely not all in. I'm in enough to to put one tournament stack out there for yeah, sure where and, i am and actually and actually i like kiki kuti in in other formats as well yeah that's what i was about to say i'm perfectly fine playing kuti in all formats i'll get to him later you know i'm probably going to lock him in in cash just because of the price but i am very worried about the offense as a whole without will fuller without randall cobb going up against just a very fundamentally sound fast defense that can get pressure on deshaun so I'm out on the Texans offense with the exception of, you know, Kiki Kuti because he's only $3,500. That's my kind of take on the Texans this week. Yeah, and that's that's perfectly fair. Um, I noticed that you have Kirk Cousins written here. I, I, that is, I did not write that. That one's you. So you want to go ahead and go through the Kirk train? Yeah, so uh, Kirk Cousins, 6,400. Look, we've hit on the Vikings passing stack a couple of times this year. Um, I'm going to go back to the well here. He's going up against the Jags. This game is in the Dome in Minnesota, which is always good. Um, you know, it could easily be a Dalvin Cook week. We always have to account that it could be a Dalvin Cook week. But with that, I mean, Dalvin Cook is usually going to be the guy that gets all the ownership. So when it comes to tournaments, I always like the idea of going with Kirk Cousins and these talented wide receivers in the stack. We're going to get to Kyle Rudolph later because Irv Smith is out yet again. But I mean, Cousins has just been kind of hot lately, Ben, and he's got Jefferson and Thielen ready to go. So is it the price that's kind of scaring you off or are you in with me this week on this stack? It's 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 more or less just that I expect it to be the the Dalvin Cook show. I certainly understand the leverage play. Um, I I don't hate the Vikings. We've been doing Vikings passing stacks for the last couple of weeks now, just because you know everybody always expects it to be the Dalvin show. But especially this week, I I think it's going to be the Dalvin show. Yeah, and I'm I think that's a good reason to why I think Kirk Cousins is tournament only because there always is risk that it's the Dalvin Cook week and the game script is just so favorable towards Minnesota. Cousins doesn't have to put up stats. And then the fact that just Aaron Rodgers is only $400 more than Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers is just way safer in cash. So yeah, tournament only Kirk Cousins, but I would definitely have Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson mixed in to a, a tournament stack or two. Yeah. And I mean, let's say that you do need to save $500. You can't afford Aaron Rodgers in your cash lineup. I think Taysom Hill is a pretty good option. Um, I don't think he's going to kill you in cash. I think if the rest of your lineup is solid, Taysom Hill is going to get you there and he did put up 25 DraftKings points against the Falcons just two weeks ago. He's playing the Falcons again this week. Um, that exact uh, scoring total is going to be value if he does it again. That's that's more than 4x of his 6,300 price tag. So um, I think Taysom Hill is, is certainly viable in cash this week. And I, I mentioned I think he's going to be viable in cash every week as long as he's starting. He, he just runs too much, and he's probably going to score a rushing touchdown every week. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, the ceiling has not been there yet. He probably just doesn't have the ceiling just because the passing isn't that prolific. But if he ever ran for, you know, three touchdowns, that would be huge. But yeah, I think he's fine at 6,300. I'm probably not going to attack him too much, but I don't, you know, criticize you for doing so if you, if anyone goes that way. Yeah. And then uh, I've got your boy here, Ryan Fitzpatrick at six grand. Um, So the thing is Tua might start, but I'm basically, if Tua starts, I'm staying away from Miami entirely and if Fitzpatrick starts I'm going all in on Miami and 
and doing a Fitzpatrick Parker Gasecki stack, which I did last week. And that actually got me to a cash line along with Tyreek Hill. Um, so Miami has no healthy running backs once again. So they're going to be throwing the ball, whether it's Tua or Fitz. I think they're going to be throwing the ball, but I only really trust Fitz to do it at this point at the 6K price range. Yeah, once we get into 6K, that start that gets to where I get a little nervous about my boy Fitzpatrick. But you can always talk me into playing him in tournaments. I think there's a chance that the Bengals are just so horribly bad on offense and the Dolphins' defense is so good that this game could just get real ugly quickly and the Bengals just completely muck it up and make it a low-scoring, one-sided game, which is not really the game script that you want Ryan Fitzpatrick in because... They'll just make an effort to make sure he doesn't do Ryan Fitzpatrick things and turn the ball over and potentially lose them the game they should win. So at 6K, I think you're taking a little bit more of a risk just because the total is so low. But I definitely don't hate it in tournaments because he obviously is a gunslinger and it's a good matchup. So you could go either way there, but I think I'm less in than usual than I would be on Fitzpatrick in a good matchup. I, you know, I, I think I agree a little bit in terms of being less in than usual only because of the two people that are cheaper than Fitzpatrick, that being Jared Goff and Mitch Trubisky, who I think present similar upside at a lower price tag, both of them. Yeah. So I'm in agreement with you here, especially on Trubisky. I'll let you talk about Goff a little bit who I don't hate, but yeah, then I'll go ahead and take Trubisky who we both really like, I think. So Jared Goff is 5,800. Uh, both of the Rams wide receivers are also very cheap. Robert Woods is 59 and Cooper Cup is 6,100 on DraftKings. They're playing Arizona, who usually have a pretty you know solid defense. But Arizona is also 29th in points allowed to wide receivers specifically. And they're missing Chandler Jones, their best pass rusher. So let me give you some stats on Jared Goff. His passer rating with no pressure is 108, which is very good. His passer rating under pressure is 39. <laughs> I, I honestly think that Aaron could throw better with, with dudes in his face. And I was there when Aaron was deemed dangerously inflexible during arm testing in our freshman year. So without Arizona's <laughs> pass rush, I really like the Rams pass offense. Uh, I, I think Goff is going to have time to throw. I think Cup and Woods might both have big days. I don't know, man. If I envisioned myself in the NFL playing quarterback and a bunch of pass rushers in my face, I definitely feel like I would take the old Phillip Rivers approach and just say, oh, screw it. Tyler Higby's up there somewhere and just launch it. (laughs) I think that's what I would do in that scenario. So I'm not sure if I'd be better than Jared Goff and his 39 passer rating. But yeah, this is definitely a point where this is definitely one of those times where the data backs up what we see with our own eyeballs because he's always very solid with no pressure. But if you get pressure on him, that is not good. So if you're telling me that the Cardinals are not going to get pressure on them and they're in a dome and the wide receivers should be running free, then 5,800 is a pretty solid price for a guy who, you know, could go out there and have light it up. But, you know, don't be surprised if he goes out there and kills you because that's just kind of what Jared Goff does. So that probably makes him more of a tournament play, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, at least you'd get to sympathize with Rams fans who I can't I can't imagine being a Rams being a Rams fan is like playing Russian roulette every week. Just which Jared Goff is going to show up on the field. Yeah, no, it's it's just all dependent on the pass rush and whether the wide receivers are able to get separation, which is, you know, probably concerning considering the contract they gave him. But that is a problem for the Rams and not a problem for us on this podcast. So with that, I'll go (laughs) ahead and talk about Mitch Trubisky here. Fifty four hundred. It's not Thanksgiving anymore, so we don't have that narrative going for us. But 
the one thing we do have going for us is he is going up against the Lions defense this week, which we have picked on all year long. It's in a dome, which is good for Mitch. Um, look, Mitch is not a good quarterback, and uh, you'll never hear me argue the other side of that. You know, he's bad, but that does not mean he's not capable of scoring fantasy points, especially against the Lions. You know, he slings it, and he's got some weapons available, especially Allen Robinson, to where if they need him to do some things in a dome, he is capable of at least doing that. He might scramble with his legs. He's got that upside that Nick Foles doesn't. So, yeah, 5,400, you only need him to get two touchdowns. If he gets three, that's awesome. And I think there's a chance that does happen, and he could even hit some uh, really big plays down the field also. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's worth noting that the Vegas implied total for this – I'm sorry, the Vegas implied total for the Bears specifically is 21 points in this game, and that's three touchdowns. So, you know, give two of those to Trubisky, and maybe both of them go to Allen Robinson. And, you know, you have you have super value on both of those guys. So – um, Mitch Trubisky is better than Nick Foles. I just, I just want to say that as, as a quarterback and especially for fantasy purposes, he is, he is the better player. Um, and the Lions defense is just so bad that I'm not going to stay away. I'll probably have a bear stack as well. Yeah. I think a bear stack is definitely a good move in tournaments if you're rolling out a couple lineups. So yeah, I just think that's a good way to go. I just want to point out there are worse plays on the board, in my opinion, than Mike Glennon in a dome against the Vikings defense. I might, I probably won't do it, and I'm not going to advocate doing it. But I think there are worse plays on the board, just given the game script in a dome. They're going to be behind. DJ Chark's healthy. Colin Johnson's emerging. So you know, Mike Glennon, 4800. I would probably rather play him than Colt McCoy, which pains me to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to let you get that one off. But uh, with that being said, <laughs> we're going to just move on to running back. Um, and there's there's an obvious question here at running back. There are two clear cut top running backs this week. It's Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. Um, you know the question is, can you slide them both in? The question is, if you can't slide them both in, which one are you taking? Um, I don't think you can fade them both in, especially not in cash. I mean, there's no way in cash you have to take one in cash. But even in tournaments, I think probably one of these guys is going off this week. Um, Derrick Henry is coming off a 40 burger. Dalvin Cook is coming off an injury. I think ownership might slide Derrick Henry's way for that reason. Um, and I, there are some ways to slide both of these guys in your lineup, and and I'll, I'll get to some of that later. But but what do you think, Aaron? Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, what, what are you thinking? This is a tough one for me this week because I do like other guys in kind of that second-tier range more than usual this week. I'm not sure I'm going to force them into my lineups. You know, you say you have to have one of them in cash. You are probably right, but, you know, when you say – one of these guys is going to go off and you have to have them. I also think there are other guys cheaper than them that are going to go off to the same degree. You know, is it less likely? Absolutely. Because Cook and Henry are, you know, their usage is just locked in and they're very reliable, but I don't know. It's a really tough spot. I'm probably going to play one of them in cash. And then in tournaments, I will mix them pretty evenly and even have some lineups where I play neither. I will give the slight lean to Dalvin Cook because of the pass catching and that he's just had more big weeks throughout the course of the season than Derrick Henry has had. But man, it's a tough call and you're really splitting hairs between these two, these two backs. Yeah. I, I, I want to bring up that both of these guys needs to need to basically hit 35 DraftKings points to get to value at their price tag. So you are counting on one of these dudes to hit a 40 burger 
if you're if you're taking them. Um, with Dalvin Cook, I think it's it's more realistic. Derrick Henry needs to fall into the end zone three times to make it happen, and Dalvin Cook can do you know two touchdowns and make up the rest with his pass catching. So I agree. I'm gonna go slight lean with Dalvin Cook against the Jaguars, but. I mean, it's going to be hard to, you know, I, it, it's definitely a hard decision this week. But I also agree that there are people in the in the second tier that I like as well. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and get to that. Yeah, one of those guys is going to be Nick Chubb. He's 7,700 this week. It's kind of crazy how consistent Nick Chubb has been able to be this year, considering he's in a timeshare with Kareem Hunt. But if you look at his game log, it's actually really funny. He gets basically exactly 19 carries every single week, and he gets between 110 and 150 yards every single week. So, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with Nick Chubb. It's a good matchup in a defense in Tennessee that we've been picking on all year. We know they're going to have to try to run the ball just because the more Baker Mayfield has to do, the worse that is for Cleveland. So they're going to feature Nick Chubb just like they always do. And at 7,700, you know, if he gets his normal 130 yards and he gets two touchdowns instead of one or zero, that's kind of where he gets into the Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry range but he's doing it for only 7,700. So he is one of the guys this week that I think are a tier below as far as pricing, but provide you with similar upside, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been sort of wanting to play Nick Chubb all year. I mean, the issue is he needs to score two touchdowns to, to break the slate and it, he's just not used in the red zone enough. It's the, you know, the red zone is sort of Kareem Hunt's Kareem Hunt's place. So, you're going to get the big chunk yardage. You're going to get a hundred plus rushing yards. It's just, can he fall into the end zone twice? And 7,700 is a still a relatively steep price tag. Yeah, it is steep overall, but I do think, you know, he rips off big runs so consistently. There's always a chance he can rip off, you know, a 40 or a 50 yarder. and You don't have to worry about the red zone Kareem hunt stuff. And, you know, let's not act like Nick Chubb has gotten no red zone usage. It's kind of just, Whoever ha- usually the problem is Nick Chubb is so tired from carrying them down the field that it's just well, yeah. Kareem Hunt's turn. So no, yeah, I'm, I I don't mean that they use Kareem Hunt in the red zone because he's a red zone threat. I mean Nick Chubb is <laughs> marching his way down the field and then needs a rest after eight straight carries and then they punch the ball into the end zone. Yeah, so there's always a risk that could happen again, but I'm willing to take that risk at 7,700. Uh, but a guy that I think I like even more, and you might also is going to be Austin Eckler. I'll let you talk about my guy here and what he did last week. Yeah, I, I do like him more. Austin Eckler is definitely my my cash RB2. I'm probably taking one of the top guys and then Austin Eckler at the RB2 spot. Or I might take both of them and Austin Eckler in my in my flex. I have a lot of sort of star and stars and studs lineups where I have all three of these running backs and then I took um and then I took Kuti and like Darnell Mooney, you know, stuff like that. Are you telling me you have um, lineups with Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Austin Eckler? Yes, that is, that is exactly what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going to need to see that. Who did you play, quarterback, Trubisky? Yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I actually kind of like that idea. That's that's pretty fun. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he is, Austin Eckler had 16 targets last week against Buffalo. 16. Um, he's So he's, he's definitely my favorite play in this price range. He also saves you $2,000 compared to those top guys. $2,000 at the wide receiver position goes a, a very long way. Um, so I, I think the floor is certainly there this week. You definitely secure a floor with Austin Eckler. I think maybe the ceiling isn't, you know, I don't think he's getting you a 40 burger, but I don't think he's, he's going less than 20. Yeah. I mean, 
It, it was just really nice to be on the right side of a very sharp Austin Eckler call last week. He was only 6K and he was 8% owned and people were worried about the usage and stuff. But once Bellage was ruled out, I had a feeling that meant Eckler was completely good to go. And, you know, what do you know? But he gets his career high in snap percentage and his career high in touches. First week back off a horrible hamstring injury. I mean, that was just awesome to see. Uh, he's not 6,000 like he was last week. He's 7,000, which definitely makes a difference. But Ben, I am very tempted just to completely lock him into every single lineup yet again, because I really think he's an 8K running back with the usage out of the backfield that we see from Justin Herbert in this offense. And not to mention, I think it's been proven the way to stop this Chargers offense is to just take the big plays away, play really conservatively, and just wait, make the Chargers dink and dunk Wait for the offensive line to get a stupid holding. Maybe they'll get a dumb penalty. Maybe Anthony Lynn will attempt a 58-yard field goal on fourth and two. You know, there's just a lot of different ways to slow down the offense if you take away the big plays. So I expect Bill Belichick to do that. And if he does that, that is just going to be even more receptions out of the backfield for Eckler because that's what's going to be available to Herbert. And he's seen, he's shown that he's very happy with just taking whatever the defense gives him sometimes. So yeah, I'm... That's a long way of saying I might lock in Eckler to every single lineup like I did last week. Yeah, I mean, I, I also really, really like Eckler. If um, if you're looking for a tournament pivot in that price range, I think Miles Sanders at 6,700. He is literally the only playable portion of the Eagles offense this week, be only because Green Bay has been so bad against the run this year. Uh, you just see you know, running backs run straight up the middle against Green Bay all year because their entire uh, front four are all pass rushers. So we know how talented Miles Sanders is. We know how bad the Eagles offensive line is. It's definitely a tournament play. I'm not playing him in cash, but three or four really well-blocked plays with Miles Sanders explosiveness could just get him to value. There is absolutely no floor to speak of. I mean, this is a, this is a leverage tournament play for sure. I mean, I love Miles Sanders, you know, just as much as anyone does, but this week, it's just going to be tough for me. Carson Wentz is so horribly bad at football and playing quarterback specifically that the opposing teams have just completely locked in on Miles Sanders, knowing that is the only explosive player they have and the only guy that can really beat them. I expect Green Bay to do the same thing and just be determined not to get beat by Miles Sanders and just make Carson Wentz beat you because, look, they know Carson Wentz can't do that. Yeah, I, I certainly understand it. Yeah, and then, you know, another guy who we both really like this week. We're going to jump down a tier here, all the way down to 5,500. That's going to be David Montgomery, who is shockingly only 5,500, coming off a really big week last week and a nice matchup, which I think is going to lead to him being uh, very chalky. But, you know, he probably deserves to be chalky in this matchup versus Detroit. He gets a lot of usage. He's starting to get a little more work out of the backfield, and he's just a solid play. We know the Bears are going to try to establish the run to keep Mitch from doing Mitch things, but... So Montgomery's going to be the main beneficiary of that. So yeah, I like Montgomery. Yeah, I, I also like Montgomery. I mean, again, we we pick on the Detroit the Detroit defense here. Montgomery's last week he had a hundred yards rushing and six targets against the Packers. Um, I, you know, Vegas thinks that the Bears move the ball in this game, and I also think the Bears move the ball in this game. So I like the strategy of sort of diversifying between the pass and the run in different lineups. Uh, you know, take Trubisky and Robinson in one and then take Montgomery in, in another. Yeah, and if you are not interested in playing chalk David Montgomery, which, you know, is not always the most fun thing to do, Devontae Booker is the exact same price as David Montgomery. 
He is the running back for the Oakland Raiders this week going up against the Jets. Josh Jacobs is out, so that means this is going to be Devontae Booker's backfield. Look, it is a little expensive for a backup running back, and we just talked literally last week about how you know we're going to play Brian Hill even though we've gotten burned multiple times by the chalky, cheap running back with no talent. I think... I might sound like, you know, it might sound like Groundhog's Day here, but I think this is a different situation because I've watched a lot of Raiders this year because I have a lot of Josh Jacobs. And what I've noticed is when they bring in Devontae Booker, he looks really good. He looks like a very talented running back. He's running hard this year. They have a good run screen. They have a good run scheme. He's very explosive. So I don't think this is just a random backup running back with no talent filling a void. They've made an effort to give Booker some carries in every single game this week. I think they're going to let him take the backfield, and I think he's a good pivot off of Montgomery and a good matchup versus the Jets. I don't know. What do you think about that play? So I'm, I'm, I might play him a little bit. I don't think I'm as high as you are. Uh, I, I just want to, I want to say that the Jets' run defense is actually just mediocre and not bad. The pass defense is what is really atrocious with with New York. So. I, I definitely wonder about a ceiling. I think that, you know, uh, I, like I, th- I think that Booker is being looked at as, oh, running back against the Jets. Well, that's, you know, that's a no-brainer. And I don't really know if that's the case. I, I think he's a good play. I don't think he's going to be a great, like, you know, slate-winning play. Yeah, I definitely think that's a fair point. You know, a lot of people are going to have the same kind of thought that I did of Jets, terrible, attack them with all positions. But the run D is kind of the best part of their defense. So that is something to keep in mind. But I think, you know, the right move is probably just go David Montgomery and cash if you're looking at that range. But a tournament pivot to get some ownership and some leverage to uh, Devontae Booker. He is a talented running back is the main point I wanted to get across there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that point for sure. You know, what's funny is uh, David Montgomery must have gotten healthy at some point because wasn't it like six weeks ago we were talking about how David Montgomery couldn't like break glass? Yeah, I believe he said he he couldn't break a tackle from his own grandmother. Um, <laughs> look, I, I stand by that comment. I think last <laughs> last last week he had a breakaway run for 50 yards and I swear that was like his career longest run by like 47 yards. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying it's not fun to play chalk David Montgomery just because he's basically like Frank Gore, but 20 years younger. But, you know, he is in a good spot and they the touches are locked in and it's a good matchup. So I, I am going to mix him in. But look, I stand by all my David Montgomery comments. That That's fair. I appreciate you sticking to your guns. <laughs> the... Uh... Speaking of not fun, I want to talk about the Colts offense for a second. Um, I think I think that the Colts are just going to run the ball down the Texans' throat at some point during this game because every single team has done that so far this year. So I think that one of Jonathan Taylor and Naeem, or Naheem Hines might break the slate. I just have no idea which one to take, and I might throw whichever one fits into my lineup budgets when I look up after creating the rest of it. But Jonathan Taylor is 57, and Naheem Hines is 52. I like Naheem Hines' passing, pass catching ability. That it looked like they were finally unleashing Jonathan Taylor before he got COVID. In week eleven, he had twenty two carries. I mean, are we putting any stock in that? Yeah, I actually was eyeballing that as I was looking at this. I'm glad you brought it up. I saw the twenty two carries and the four targets, and I had the same thought as you. Are they finally going to start to unleash him? And then he gets COVID, and it's like, okay, he's coming back off of COVID. 
a bye week for a running back is always important because it's important for them to have their bodies fresh at the same time. How's he feeling after COVID? Are they going to try to ease him back in after not practicing for a full week and being away from the team? It's such a tough call because I'm like, man, if he gets 22 carries against this Houston run defense in a game script, that's going to be probably pretty good. That could be like a slate winner. He could finally go for the 30 points that we've been waiting him to go for all year. But at the same time, man, if they just try to ease him back in after COVID, it could be a good Naheem Hines week. The safest thing to do is probably fade it, but I am very concerned that Taylor specifically might go out there and win someone a tournament, and I'm going to be kicking myself for not having him. But it's a very tricky situation. But, I mean, look, the people come to the podcast for us to handle the tricky situations, not for us to complain about them. So I guess my official stance is I am willing to take the risk and play Jonathan Taylor in a couple lineups for tournaments. It's interesting because I'm I'm I have a little bit of of the opposite where I'm I'm willing to take the risk and play Naeem Hines in a few <laughs> in a few lineups. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> because because if it's not Taylor, I think Hines actually has the even greater ceiling. I mean, we because like obviously the Houston run defense is terrible and anybody can run on them, including Naeem Hines. But anybody can also catch passes out of the backfield on them, including Naeem Hines. So. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, that's really where it comes down to game script with the Colts, and it's why the Colts suck, because we hate playing, you know, they're so frustrating because they mix their usage so much, and it's all game script dependent, but if they can't... Yeah, and they're going and they're, and they're to run three tight ends and throw the ball to all of them. Yeah, sometimes the tight ends are throwing it to each other. It's it's very <laughs> It's very frustrating, but this feels like a game script thing. If they are able to establish the lead... Taylor is probably going to be pounding the rock and will probably work out very well. If Deshaun Watson plays fantastically and somehow manages to turn this game into a shootout, it's probably Naheem Hines. So you have to make a decision on how you think the game's going to go. Me personally, I really like the Colts this week. I like their defense. I think it's going to be more of a Jonathan Taylor game. 5,700, I am willing to make the move in tournaments is where I'm at, but you can't argue against fading it or playing Naheem Hines. That's a tricky listen, situation. Listen, for what it's worth, the total is 51. The Colts have the, – the Texans' implied total is like 24 points. Yeah, because they're like, favored by three, so you do the math. They're expecting 20, yeah. 24. Yeah. They're, I mean, the Texans are supposed to put up points here, and it might be Naheem Hines on the field catching passes. That's all I'm going to say. All right, can we do a gentleman's bet? I'm trailing 4-1 here. I know Taylor is higher priced, but I need something. I, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I will do that, actually, because I think I think that Naheem Hines is a good enough runner to make up for the, the difference there. So I, I, I will do a Naheem Hines point gentleman's bet with you All right. against Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor versus Hines, lock it in. I am down 4-1 to one in desperate need of a comeback here. So uh, well, Honestly, I'm, I'm fine going with two because I got another one down in the in the tight end spot, but that's that, that one's going to be up to you. Yeah, uh, Looking forward to it. All right, enough about the Colts and their stupid team and franchise. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move on here. I've got Damian Harris. I want to list him here. He's only 5,200. We were giving a lot of praise to Damian Harris just a few weeks ago. And then in typical Bill Belichick fashion, they've kind of, you know, reined him back in, not let him get a bunch of stats, make sure they keep the the contract down, you know, all the franchise tag numbers and stuff like that, not let him turn into a superstar just because that's what the Patriots do with their running backs. But I still am of the belief that he is due for a really big game. He's still getting the carries. 
The Chargers' run defense is getting worse by the week. James White did score a couple touchdowns last week, which is a little frustrating because they were rushing touchdowns. You figure those would go to Damian Harris. But look, Damian Harris is still a guy that's built to be a good goal line and red zone running back. I think he's due for some touchdowns, and I think those touchdowns start to come this week. So 5,200, Damian Harris probably going to fly under the radar a little bit, and I do like him there. I forgot that was another hit that I had last week. I said I, I said to play James White because Rex Burkhead was out and he was probably going to find the end zone. Yes. I totally forgot about that. That was sharp by you. Uh, yeah, I don't hate Damian Harris. I just I think James White might keep finding the end zone out of the backfield with no Rex Burkhead to take the, the targets. I mean, I, yeah, but I don't know. James White scored two rushing touchdowns last week. Like, why, yeah, why I mean, is that, that, that a is, thing? That is, that, is a, that is a problem. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Damian Harris, some positive touchdown regression is probably coming. Yeah, I mean, but it's the, I mean, you never know with the Patriots, but 5,200, all I'm saying is the Chargers run defense is pretty bad as a guy that watches the Chargers every week. We know the Patriots are going to try to establish the run, and Damian Harris is that guy. So a big week is coming for Damian Harris. So there's no reason why it won't be this week against the Chargers. Yeah, and I don't think we have any super cheap running backs this week, which is probably good because every time we play them, they don't work out. So, uh, with that said, we can just go ahead and, and move on to wide receiver. I'll let you go ahead and take it. Yeah, so my kind of take is we recommended a lot of quarterbacks at the top. The, most of those quarterbacks have very obvious stack options. I mean, we mentioned Rodgers. I really like Adams in that stack. We mentioned Justin Herbert. Obviously, Keenan Allen's in a good spot as well. Uh, Trubisky, the obvious stack there is Allen Robinson. We're in on that one as well. So basically, whatever quarterback you like that we recommended, their best wide receiver option we also like as well. Um, as far as which of those guys can you play in their own lineup and which one's the best value specifically, I would probably say it's Allen Robinson just because of the price tag, but I might end up with a lot of Devontae Adams this week against the Eagles because the thing with the Packers is you mentioned you know they might get way ahead and turn it into an Aaron Jones week. The Packers throw the ball when they're ahead. They really trust Aaron Rodgers to move the ball down the field. He doesn't throw any interceptions, so it's not like you have to play it super safe when you know you have a quarterback that doesn't really make mistakes. He doesn't take sacks. He doesn't throw picks. So they kind of just continue to throw the ball and have a balanced offense regardless of the score, which leads to some very uh, big weeks for Devontae Adams. So, yeah, if I end up going a little cheaper at running back, which I might, that might end up uh, leading me to a lot of Devontae Adams this week. Yeah, I I, I 100% agree about Allen Robinson. Um, I think Allen Robinson is the best wide receiver value in a vacuum uh, on the whole slate, actually. So I'm going to have a lot of Allen Robinson. For me, it's actually going to be a lot of balancing how much Eckler do I want and how much Robinson do I want. Um, but, you know, that's just the way my lineup construction is going to work out. Yeah, so that's for the flex spot. You don't, I mean, you don't, I feel like you could easily make lineups with both. Yeah, no, I, I could. I'm just like, for the lineups where I'm taking both of the top tier running backs, I have to decide, do I want Robinson or Eckler? And then for the lineups where I'm going cheap elsewhere, I, have to, I still have to decide, you know, do I want Eckler or like a second elite wide receiver? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I understand your thinking there. Uh, the guy I want to know is we mentioned the Vikings passing attack in the stack specifically. I do like both guys, but Thielen is definitely my preferred target there. The price difference is not much of a concern. And Thielen has just been very consistent as far as his red zone usage and his red zone just dominance. He's been scoring touchdowns at an unbelievable mark. If you watch the games, when he gets in the red zone, he just runs these incredible routes and he's always wide open. Kirk Cousins is staring him down every time they get in the red zone. It's just a really good connection they have. So yeah, because of the red zone upside specifically, 
I do prefer Thielen over Jefferson if you only want to play one of them with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. I'm, I'm Thielen's just the better wideout, and I agree with the with the red zone usage for sure. I mean, we agree. I think a lot at the top here, so I'm not I'm not really upset about any of this. Yeah, I mean, you were the one that brought up Taysom Hill. I mean, do you like Michael Thomas as well? He did have 12 targets the last time they played the Falcons. Yeah, and I watched all of that game, and Michael Thomas was just super wide open. And you know, me and you could have made the throws to Michael Thomas. It, it you know. I'm sort of taking Taysom's arm talent out of the equation here because Michael Thomas is going to be open and probably going to have 100 receiving yards. So he's a fine play. I think I probably won't have very much of him just because I like the upside of other guys. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. I'm definitely looking to mix him into a tournament lineup or two just because he is Michael Thomas and it is the Falcons. So I am not surprised that he was that wide open and I think he will be again. And he put up 22 points last time without a touchdown and I don't know if it's possible for Michael Thomas to go two games in a row against the Falcons in a dome and not score a touchdown. So I think it's pretty likely Michael Thomas probably finds the end zone this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a fair point. My uh, my next guy is a pretty, pretty big leap down in price. We got nine hundred dollars less. I'm going all the way down to Cooper Cup at sixty one hundred. I think Cup is actually my favorite of the two Rams receivers, but I do like them both a lot. Uh, Robert Woods owns Patrick Peterson, and this is like a narrative that that everybody sort of knows by now. So I think Woods is going to get the chalk here, but Cooper cup has, has historically been the blow up guy for 150 yards and two touchdowns. So all I'm going to say is never say never to a, to a cup 40 burger. And I'm going to have plenty of both of these receivers. Oh, all right. Another opportunity is open for me here. I really like Robert Woods this week. He's gotten 27 targets over his past two games. He's under six K it's in a dome. Robert Woods is probably the guy I'm going to be going to here. So obvious question, Ben, can we lock in another gentleman's bet here? Cooper Cup versus Robert Woods. I need these. I, this one's actually way better than the Colts one. Uh, I, yeah, I'll say yes to this one. Now I'm regretting taking the Colts one. Yeah, but you already did it. So we've got <laughs> we've got two on the board. This could be a big week for me, or it just could just be Ben uh, adding fuel to the fire and pulling away. But all right, Cooper Cup versus Robert running, Woods. Running away with my big football brain. Yeah. All right. I, I really do like Robert Woods a little more. Just the usage has been crazy lately. They manufacture him a lot of touches. Cooper Cup is a little more boomer bust, even though they both can be at times. But yeah, I'll take a Robert Bobbert Woodson here to get me back in the game here in the gentlemen's bets. Yeah, that's fair. I noticed that you you want to talk about Brandon Cooks a little bit. I wanted to ask you about Brandon Cooks since you know you are an even bigger Brandon Cooks guy than I am. I mean. Will Fuller got popped for PEDs for those that don't know. So they don't have Will Fuller that you would think leads to more Brandon cooks, but it will also lead to more defense attention on Brandon cooks. So basically what I'm saying is, you know, we're a pro Brandon cooks podcast, but it's a tough matchup, more defensive focus, but possibly more usage. How do you feel about Brandon cooks this week overall? Yeah. I mean, I think the floor is there. I think the ceiling probably isn't he's, he's going to see 10 targets. I would assume maybe even more, um, but the Colts are so good at limiting the big plays with that like funnel defense that they play. I just can't see Brandon Cooks really getting loose. I think something like you know ten catches for a hundred and five yards might be the the absolute ceiling. And you know, in, in which case it's certainly value. But I, I do think that's the ceiling. Yeah. Okay. I was kind of had the same thought there. I wasn't really, as I said before, I'm not looking to jam in any Texans into my lineup with the exception of Kuti, just because he's 3500 bucks, and I think they will be playing from behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we're both in on Kuti. I do have Jamison Crowder at 5100 I think maybe it's 
a better option. So Crowder's price has come way down. He was injured for a while. He's now had two bad weeks in a row. But I do think it's important to remember that Sam Darnold is the quarterback again. Sam Darnold loves this man. Sam Darnold always throws to this man. The Las Vegas Raiders defense is horrible. Donald had, has now had a full week of practice, and Crowder, I mean, we saw what Crowder could do early in the year. I don't think this is like a dart throw at all. I think Crowder, you know, has a pretty good chance to catch 10 passes and find the end zone. Yeah, I kind of think this might be that, that really sharp call of the week that we look back and we say, man, we are very, very good at this sometimes because people are going to see the Crowder usage lately and just see, wow, he's been really bad lately. Whatever happened to that early season, Jamison Crowder. Darnold Joe, is Joe Flacco happened. Yeah, yeah, Joe Flacco happened. We know it's a really good matchup versus the Raiders. So, yeah, I think Crowder could be the guy to go overlooked. Look, you're going to see his game log alone. That probably makes him just a tournament play. But if you're all in, you can play him in cash. Sounds like Ben might be. But I think this might be you know, your sneaky, really good call of the week if I had to have a gut feeling here. It it probably is tournament only. I don't know if I have the balls to play him in cash until he shows it again. But, I mean, we know that him and Darnold have the connection. The only thing that really worries me is Adam Gase coming out and saying that now, like, play calling is a collaborative effort, which I don't know how much of the Darnold-Crowder thing was actually Darnold-Crowder and how much of it was Adam Gase making sure Crowder got the ball. Dude, anything Jets-Adam Gase play calling related is going to concern me at this point. It's just a mess every time. You you could say you could say Adam Gase is very concerned about you know getting a new leash for his dog because the dog might run away and escape, and I would just completely believe you and be very concerned for every dog out there. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's not a good coach, but I mean, that's why Jameson Crowder is 5,100. Yeah, okay, so I have Michael Pittman listed here. Mostly so I could just present the fact, Ben. Michael Pittman last week, who I recommended, he had nine targets, which he managed to turn into four fantasy points. That is so incredibly bad and unlikely that I don't think it's possible for it to happen again. I mean, you will never see a guy get nine targets and turn it into four fantasy points. He had two receptions on nine targets. Phillip Rivers was just doing the old... We joke about it all the time. You know what? Whatever. Pittman's out there somewhere. Just throw it up. Uh, (laughs) So basically, I think he's a good play yet again because there is no possible way that that will happen again. If he gets nine targets again, surely he will turn it into the usual six or seven catches that any other wide receiver would. So, yeah, just based on that alone, I think he's in play just for a massive bounce back regression week after that, you know, truly statistical anomaly. I, I also played a lot of Pittman last week, and it it pissed me off. But I agree that he's he's probably a fine play this week. I mean, any piece of this Colts offense against the Texans could probably get there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had him in my in my Mahomes Hill Kelsey Eckler lineup. So between just com- being completely wrong on Brown and then the nine targets for four fantasy points for Pittman, I was really thinking. Oh man, this this might have been my week, and it just didn't happen for me because I got unlucky. Ugh. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we've been saying it all podcast. Kiki Kuti is thirty five hundred. Uh, there's no Randall Cobb and no Will Fuller, so Kiki Kuti is suddenly the second wide receiver on this team. We saw last year Kiki Kuti got a couple games of you know full game action. I remember one of those games he turned in like a thirty burger. I mean, the ceiling does exist. And the floor certainly exists because he's a slot type. He's always going to be open. 
His hands aren't very good, but he is always going to be open. So the floor is there. There is a, a ceiling there. I think he's probably the best value play on this slate. Yeah, I'm going to be playing Kuti and Cash. I'll be playing him in tournaments too. I just think there's some good garbage time potential. I think the Colts are probably going to get up pretty big in this game. I'll get to that later. And I think Deshaun's going to be having to throw pretty much all day because they always have to throw because they have no run game. And he probably won't have much time to throw, which could lead to maybe some underneath balls, even though we know that's not really Deshaun Watson's style. But even then, Kiki Kuti is the number two wide receiver. We've been recommending Cooks all year as the number two wide receiver. So no reason to be out on Kuti 3,500. So yeah, I'm going to be locking him in in cash and playing him quite a bit this week. Yeah, and, and if you're looking for another cheap wide receiver, I got a dart throw of the week. Uh, I like Henry Ruggs a little bit, actually. I didn't mention him. He's 4,500. Um, I think Henry Ruggs might you know have the explosion week, but another guy who's even cheaper than that who can have the explosion week is Darnell Mooney. Um, wide receiver two for the Bears. He's 3,400. So he's technically right now he's questionable with a knee injury, but it sounds like he's going to play. In his last two games of full workload, he got injured uh, the week before. So the full workload of the weeks, he had 11 and 9 targets. Um, and now it's Mitchell Trubisky, who, you know, for all of his faults, can actually make some big plays happen. If you were, if you remember, and I'm sure you do remember, Aaron, last, last year, around this time of year, it was, the, it was the Anthony Miller sort of like just a couple blow-up weeks in a row. And I'm thinking that Trubisky is going to make it happen again this year. I really do think Trubisky's going to hit like a 50-yard touchdown pass this week, and there's a pretty good chance that could be to Darnell Mooney just because they force so many deep balls to Darnell Mooney. It's crazy for a team that has no quarterback, and this is an unproven <laughs> wide receiver. It doesn't really make much sense, but they do it, and it is a lion, so I would not be surprised if this is the week they finally connect on that you know, Darnell Mooney deep ball. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it needs to be pointed out. The Lions defense, I'm not really sure what it's going to look like without Matt Patricia, but under Matt Patricia, it was a lot of man coverage, pretty much exclusively man coverage, a lot of like cover one hole man coverage with one safety deep. So if they're still doing that, Darnell Mooney, I think is actually a really good tournament play. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it'd be a pretty bold move for the interim head coach to come in here week 13 and change the whole defensive scheme. So I think you could bank on a pretty similar defense. Yeah. All right, and with that, I'm going to take it to tight end. Um, no Travis Kelsey this week, which is a bummer. So I'm going to start here at the top with Evan Ingram, 4,900. He's having a really good second half of the season. And Ben, our guy Colt McCoy is starting at quarterback this year. Before the okay. dark days of uh, Garrett Gilbert, Shane Bouchelle, Tyrone Swoops, Gerard Hurd, Case McCoy, there was a day, believe it or not, that Texas was an elite football program and a big part of that was Colt McCoy. He has been a very average backup quarterback in the NFL for a very long time now. He is not an aggressive playmaker. He's not very explosive. He is not one for shots down the field. So I expect Jason Garrett in this offense to manufacture a lot of short passes to Evan Ingram. We know non-explosive quarterbacks tend to look at the tight end pretty often. So I think Evan Ingram continues his hot streak here. And uh, he's probably my favorite tight end play this week at the top, at least. Yeah, I don't. I, I I agree with all of your analysis. I think that is all true. Um, and Seattle is not very good against the tight end. I I like T.J. Hawkinson a little more because the Bears are also really bad against the tight end. I also think Hawkinson is going to be the number one option in that offense if Galladay doesn't play, especially. He's which out. It sounds yeah. Like, okay. Wait, wait. Yeah, I didn't think he was. So, 
Um, I'll take Stafford to Hawkinson over McCoy to Ingram. Um, Hawkinson is fifty one hundred, by the way, so only two hundred dollars more. So that's that's I'll take Hawkinson, but honestly, I'm probably actually playing neither of them because I love the punt tight ends. This yeah, week. yeah. And before we get to your punt tight end, who I see here, um, I do want to mention Dallas Goddard. He got eleven tar- ten targets last week, which is really good for a tight end. Um, I do not enjoy playing people that rely on catching footballs from Carson Wentz, but if you're going to do so, I think Dallas Goddard might be the way to go. 4,300 is not too bad. They are guaranteed to be trailing in this game, which means they'll be passing the entire second half. And when they are passing, Dallas Goddard's kind of the main guy in this passing attack. I'm not scared of Zach Ertz coming back. There was a port they're going to limit Zach Ertz, and he is also bad and not as good as Dallas Goddard all of a sudden. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in on Dallas Goddard this week as well. Yeah, I'm definitely fading both Eagles tight ends. I don't know what it's going to look like with Ertz back. I, I there's no way you couldn't pay me to take either of those guys. Some some for thirty seven hundred. I didn't write this down, but I do like Big Bobbert Tanyan this week. Um, I think he's going to catch a touchdown from Rogers. That's basically all the analysis I have there. But I think he's a good price, and you know, the, the Packers are going to score a lot. Yeah, basically, I I want to be a little more specific. You know, I really like Rodgers and Adams this week. So in lineups where I have Rodgers and Adams, that means I think the Packers are going to score a lot of points and get out to a big lead. So I'm going to put Ertz in those exact same line or put Dallas Goddard in those exact lineups and run it back and just, you know, make a game stack correlated play. Uh, you're just you're just correlating, I understand. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the game theory correlation. So if I've got Rodgers and Adams putting up 30 points, why not run it back with some Dallas Goddard garbage time points, you know? Yeah. All right. And then uh, also, before we get to Ben's punt tight end, Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith is out yet again. Last week when Irv Smith was out, Kyle Rudolph did quite well for his price. So I think it could happen again here versus Jacksonville. And look, we are one week closer to Christmas. So, you know, the Rudolph stock, Ben, is just going up day by day at this point. <laughs> the, the, the stonk meme, but it's just, just Kyle Rudolph's face. As we get closer to Christmas, and then it just drops off the map once we get to December 26th. <laughs> I, he did have a good week last week. I also played him in, in a fair amount of uh, DFS. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think Rudolph's a very good play. I, I think he's... I'm going to alternate that punt, punt tight end with my punt tight end, which is going to be Anthony Ferkser for the Stone Cold Minimum. 2,500, the absolute minimum for a tight end. Johnny Smith is out. Anthony Ferkser is the backup pass-catching tight end for the Titans. When Johnny doesn't play in this very efficient offense, Anthony Ferkser kind of eats. So I expect him to fall in the end zone. I expect him to get you this punt tight end value. And $2,500 lets you do a lot of different things with the rest of your lineup. I mean, let's say you punt defense and tight end. That's like $4,000 you just saved right there. Yeah, Ferkser gets a lot of run when Jonu Smith is healthy and on the field. They do some two tight end stuff. And now Smith is out. Ferkser is always a red zone threat for this team. They do a lot of those gimmicky, you know, one yard play action passes to the tight ends. Wouldn't be surprised if Ferkser scores on one of those. I think he's in line for some good usage in general. 2,500. I am just envisioning, you know, all my Ferkser Kiki Kuti lineups that just let me go crazy at all the other positions. And I'm definitely going to do that. Let me let me tell you when my when my Ferkser, Kuti, Mooney, Trubisky, Trub, actually I, I think I think I got to pay up for Taysom Hill in that lineup. Yeah. When when that lineup hits with the three running backs I talked about, I will I will be doing a celebration. Yeah. Uh, on the show next week, you will be tied for first with all the listeners of this podcast, and it will be glorious. 
Actually, I mean, I don't think I'm playing Taysom. I don't remember what quarterback I'm playing. It might be Jared Goff because I have Cooper Cup in there as well. I don't know. There's it was a it was a whole thing, but yeah. Point is, Ferkser combined with Cootie means you can do a lot of fun things. Yeah, you can do so many. I mean, you can stack like basically anything you want to. And speaking of stacking anything you want to, we should probably get our way to the stack segment where we highlight a chalky and a sneaky stack for the week that we like. I'll let you go ahead and start it off. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell exactly where the chalk is going this week, but if I had to guess, I would say the Rodgers to Devontae Adams stack will be pretty chalky, and I like it this week. So I will eat the chalk there. That is my stack that I think will be popular, but I'm going to play it anyway. That is Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Packers' chalky stack is chalky for a reason, and I think the Rams' air attack with both wide receivers, I think they can definitely both get there this week. Um, I think that'll be chalky as well, and for good reason. They're cheap, and they will probably be productive. Yeah, uh, sneaky stack of the week. I, I had the Bears. We talked about the Bears quite a bit. I know you like them as well. And then I also yep. had the Vikings, just because they're always going to be a little bit contrarian because Dalvin Cook is always going to be higher owned than Kirk Cousins will. So in that case, I just like the leverage play yet again, just in case it's not a week where Dalvin Cook falls into the end zone three times. Maybe Kirk Cousins throws for three or four touchdowns. So the Vikings passing game is always a pretty good tournament play for me when they're in a dome for a good matchup, which they are this week. Yeah, to- totally agree on the Bears. Um, I'm going to throw out the Dolphins if Fitz is starting. Uh, it's mostly leverage more than anything else. I mean, I mentioned that I like the Rams and the Bears stack more than it based on pure value, but... I think the leverage of the Dolphins is going to be nice because I don't expect a lot of other people to be taking that one. Um, specifically, I'm talking about Fitzpatrick, Parker, and Gasecki. <laughs> so you had in your stack thing, you accidentally said beats instead of bears. So I was thinking of a beat stack, <laughs> and I just think of Dwight Schrute throwing 50 yard Hail Marys to Moe's on their beat reservation. <laughs> I don't know oh, why man. that randomly popped into my head, but a beat stack with Dwight and uh, Moe's Schrute, also pretty contrarian this week. That would be pretty contrarian, yeah. <laughs> if they're in the player pool, something has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, we, yeah, we can probably go ahead and move on to our bets. Uh, enough nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you go ahead and take it. All right, so bets of the week. Um, ben, look, we didn't mention it at the top. Holy crap. Uh, we don't complain about our bad beats too often, but I don't know if you remember or if you just completely blocked it all out of your brain after last Sunday, but... Holy cow, we got beat by some just terrible luck, especially in the oh kicker variety. Zane Gonzalez and Joey Sly, why? Dude, I updated the betting sheet, and if you go look closely, the Joey Sly missed field goal cost, it was like a $700 swing for you. It was unbelievable, because <laughs> it would have cashed both ends of your parlay. And then we were both heavy on the Cardinals over... The Pats was a bad beat in itself in many ways. You know, Cliff Kingsbury really screwed up that game. But then Zane Gonzalez missed a field goal he should have made. And basically, yeah, we lost money last week. It was unfortunate. We stand by most of our picks, but it was a very unlucky week for our bet. Dude, can we can we talk about the unnecessary roughness penalty on Cam Newton? Dude, by- he was two yards in bounds, and it was an important play. <laughs> you have to tackle him. I don't. I hate that call so much. It was so bad. And then, the, of course, the Panthers. I mean, this is more for me than you because it was my huge bet where I would have I would have gone up a ton. The Panthers go all the way down the field, like with the hail mary to Robbie Anderson, or maybe it was DJ Moore. I forgot who it was. Just like to the fifty yard line, and I'm like, man, Joey Sly. If there's anybody who can hit a fifty six yarder, it's him. 
absolutely shanks it. Not even close. It was so bad, dude. Your bet was $100 to... You had a same-game parlay. It was $100 to win 358 And if that field goal goes through, you get back 458 on that ticket. Instead, you lose 100 So that's a $550 swing there. That is brutal. That's about as bad that's as they tragic. get. Yeah, but... And, and, I'm, and, and I'm pretty sure I had the, the Panthers and something else as well. God, that's just... That's horrible. Yeah, and then between that and the Cardinals, it was bad. Overall... I am up $1,140. You are up $206, and the podcast is then up $1,346. So we're we're still up, as we will be, um, because we had a pretty good run there in the middle of the season. But, you know, we had a losing week, back-to-back losing week, so it's time to right the ship here. I did like the board this week, though. I feel good about my bets. I also like the board. I, I think that especially a lot of these favored teams – I think they're being given pretty favorable spreads, which you'll see with my third bet. All right, so I'll start it off here with my shouldn't lose money line parlay. It's the Vikings, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs all on the money line. I'm betting $111 to win 100. So the odds are pretty favorable there when you mix in all four teams. This is the part of the year when I really start to pick on the terrible teams that are tanking which is what I'm doing here with every single team in this parlay. The Vikings going up against the Jags at home. The Raiders are going up against the Jets, and the Jets all, they they can't win. If they win, that's an absolute disaster. The Dolphins are going to absolutely destroy the Bengals. I feel very good about that one. And then the Chiefs are absolutely not losing to the Broncos. So I would say the one that scares me the most for some reason is the Vikings at home against the Jaguars. I have a weird feeling that game could be somewhat close. But at the same time, the Jaguars stink. Dalvin Cook should completely destroy this team. Thielen and Jefferson are healthy. So I'm going to include the Vikings in this parlay. So yeah, give me the Vikings, Raiders, Dolphins, and Chiefs money line parlay. 111 to win 100. Follow me on this parlay. It's going to win. <laughs> I appreciate the confidence. I also have a shouldn't lose parlay. Mine is only two legs um, for almost, I mean, basically the same odds as yours, actually. Um, I got the Colts on the Packers money line. Uh, this is going to be my big bet of the week. I'm betting $250 to win $246. I mean, listen, the Texans offense historically is just not good at all without Will Fuller. And that's, you know, historically that's with DeAndre Hopkins on the field. Will Fuller is very important to stretching the field for this offense. Apparently David Johnson might be back, which honestly will just result in more 2.6 yard per carry rushes in between the tackles. That does nothing for the offense. Um, the Colts definitely have the personnel on offense to pick this defense apart, whether it's going to be Trey Burton or Naheem Hines or, you know, Michael Pittman or, or what, I don't know who it's going to be because it's the Colts, but it's going to be somebody Jonathan Taylor might just, I mean, we, we, we mentioned it. He might break, break a slate. Um, you know, Texans defense is horrible. I don't expect the offense to be too good. Um, I think that one's, you know, for the odds, I think that it's more certain than the, than the odds reflect. And the Packers are just sort of a throw in, they have better odds than I expect against the Eagles. They're only minus four hundred. I thought it would be I thought it would be better because they should definitely get pressure on Wentz with that pass rush. And um yeah, so Colton Packers, I think this is a shouldn't lose parlay. Yeah, I don't think that one loses. I think that's a good one for you. Um you mentioned uh Trey Burton in the random Colts offense. That reminded me, what was the tight ends gentleman's bet that you were teasing? You didn't bring it up. Oh, it was TJ Hawkinson and Evan Ingram. I think Hawkinson's going to do better than Evan Ingram. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll take that one too. Ingram versus Hawkinson. All right, All right that's three. We, have, we got to remember these. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you could come back to even after this week. Wow, yeah. You're saying you could blow a 4-1 lead. That would be incredible. <laughs> or it could be 7-1, to one and I'm going to have to retire from these gentlemen's bets. But uh, I think we I think we probably would just retire it at that point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you would like that. Um, <laughs> my next bet is going to be a two-team, six-point teaser. I'm going to tease the Packers down to minus three against the Eagles. And I'm going to tease the Tennessee Titans down to a money line bet against the Cleveland Browns in Tennessee. I'm going to bet the standard 120 to win 100. Look, I've talked about it before. Rodgers is just completely locked in right now. He controls every single drive. If Rodgers is locked in right now, I think that makes Carson Wentz locked out. Like he locked himself out of his house and it's 20 degrees and snowing outside. Um, (laughs) He is very bad. The Packers are just not jacking around with bad teams at this point in the year. So I think that's going to be an easy win for the Packers. They will easily cover the minus three there. And then the Tennessee Titans versus the Cleveland Browns. I think my conclusion on these two teams as far into the season is just the Titans are just a better version of the Browns. They're very similar teams in what they try to do. I like that this game is in Tennessee. I like that the Titans have A.J. Brown and the Browns don't and the Browns don't have Odell Beckham. I trust Ryan Tannehill more than I trust Baker Mayfield. So all those reasons combined, mainly this game being in Tennessee where the Titans are pretty pretty tough to beat, I will take the Titans. So give me the Packers minus three and the Titans money line in a teaser, 120 to win 100. I really like that one for me as well. Yeah, it's worth noting that um, Denzel Ward is also out for this game and they've obviously not had Greedy Williams all year. So the, uh, the Browns secondary is super banged up as well. So even if Derrick Henry doesn't get it done, I think Ryan Tannehill can can step in and make a difference. So I think that one's a winner for you as well. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I've got a Sunday night game, or I'm sorry, a, a Monday night game, the Buffalo bills. I'm going to take them straight up on the money line at the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I'm going to be betting a hundred dollars to win 95 here. I, maybe this is a homework pick. I don't know, but I think Buffalo is the better team and is being given a point on the line. So I think the Buffalo's O-line is certainly concerning. We saw Joey Boso just absolutely, you know, all over Josh Allen last week. It was kind of ridiculous, actually. But the 49ers don't have Nick Bosa. They do have still a very good front four, but Nick Bosa is not there. Josh Allen has been making better decisions with the ball all year, uh, besides, again, the Chargers last week. But that was because Joey Bosa was just surgically attached to him. (laughs) Uh, And so I think he should be able to handle this 49ers front four better than you know, they handle Joey Bosa. Uh, I think the 49ers are definitely really great at stopping the run, but Buffalo is pass first. They're no longer really a running football team. I expect a bounce back from Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. And I still think that the real Buffalo defense is going to show up down the stretch like it showed up last week. The corners are getting healthy. AJ Klein looks like he's emerging. Nobody's getting, you know, seriously hurt besides like Levi Wallace cramping up every now and then. So I'm going to go with the homer pick, Buffalo Bills, money line. I think they should be favored and they're getting a point. Yeah, it is definitely a good thing for Josh Allen that Nick Bosa is not playing in this game because he would be having some major flashbacks and PTSD because I know you just mentioned it four times in one rant, but that was one of the most you know dominating single game performances by a pass rusher that I remember seeing in a long time. Uh, dude, I can't get over it. It was so ridiculous. Yeah, he, he was an absolute monster and they still lost by 10 points. So, you know, it's a conversation for another day. But I do like <laughs> I do like that pick. I think the Bills are the better team. I don't like picking against the 49ers at home and you know Kyle Shanahan, but I do think the Bills are better. But 
yeah, I didn't have a great feel for that one, to be honest. Um, my biggest bet of the week is going to be the Colts, minus three and a half. This game has even odds right now, which means there's some money coming in on the Texans, mainly just because it's at three and a half. That's a key number. I'm not afraid of taking the three and a half instead of the three. I'm going to bet 159 to win 159. I think this is a statement game for the Colts after a bad loss last week. I think the Colts, they will get to Deshaun Watson more than the Texans will be able to get to Phil. No Fuller, no Randall Cobb is a pretty big deal. We've talked about that throughout the podcast. I think the Colts defense is just so solid. It will be very hard for the Texans to just sustain drives without those weapons. All those reasons combined, plus some uh, positive regression from my boy Michael Pittman, will lead the Colts <laughs> to a touchdown or more victory over the Texans. So yeah, give me the Colts minus three and a half this week. I love it. We fixate on the weirdest things. We're just fixating on Michael Pittman's nine targets and four fantasy points now. That that really bothered me last week since it was in my Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, Eckler lineup. Well, I only have three bets, so this is going to be my last one. I see you have four, so you're gonna you're gonna end it off here. I have a I have a a long four team all favorites six point teaser. So this is going to be a big one. That's I'm betting one hundred fifty dollars. Betting one hundred fifty dollars to win three ninety. Um, so again, I, I mentioned at the top this week, it feels like a lot of the favorites are getting these sort of very favor- favorable spreads, especially at this point of the year where the favorites are trying to lock down playoff position and the bad teams are, you know, going deep into the tank. So I'm going to throw four of these favorites into one teaser for the odds because I think these odds are pretty good. So the Steelers, I'm teasing to minus one against Washington. Um, the Steelers are, I mean, this is basically a money line bet at this point. Uh this is definitely a prime letdown week for Pittsburgh because they're coming off the Ravens and it is Washington who they don't you know particularly care about. But Pittsburgh is just better everywhere than Washington is, and I'm not going to force myself to to fade it. Uh, I'm going to tease the Colts to plus two and a half against Houston. We already talked about why we think the Colts are going to win. Both of us not going to go into that any anymore. Teasing the Vikings to minus four against Jacksonville. I agree with all of Aaron's points about that game. And I'm teasing the Raiders to minus you to minus two against the Jets. Uh, the Raiders definitely should win by a field goal against the absolute worst team in the league. Uh, the Raiders are coming off a huge letdown week against Atlanta. They, I, I, what I think happened is they got way up for Kansas City, and then they just had that letdown week against Atlanta. I think they definitely bounce back and take care of the Jets. So that's that. That's my my four team teaser, which is too many teams. But yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted I, I wanted to get the odds. Four teams teasers are always fun and exciting. Uh, yeah, I want to talk specifically about the Pittsburgh Washington game. I'm in a pool where uh, it's an eliminator pool. I pick a team to lose every single week, but once you pick that team, you can't pick them again for the rest of the season. It started with like 270 people. I am one of only 18 people left. Pretty hefty prize pot in it. And Ben, I've been setting myself up for weeks to be able to pick Washington to lose this week. And, you know, not many people have Washington left to pick, so I felt really good about it. But, man, now I feel so terrified. Pittsburgh is coming off, what, four days rest? And Washington hasn't played since... (laughs) Washington, meanwhile, hasn't played since last Thanksgiving, so they have basically a full bye week ahead of this game. I am so concerned that Washington is going to blow this for me and actually win this game, but... They're my best option on the board by far, so I just want to get that out there. If if they are the team that calls you, if if they're the team that costs you this teaser, it is going to hurt me even more than it will hurt you, my friend. So we can root for the Steelers together this week. Yeah, I'm not touching the Steelers minus seven. I'll say that. There's a there's definitely a reason I tease this. Uh 
there this might be a very ugly football game. Three weeks ago, I was so like I was just saying, oh, just let me get to this week where I can pick Washington to lose to Pittsburgh, and now there's all the rest and Bud Dupree's out, and I'm just so concerned. But hopefully Pittsburgh yeah. finds a way to win that game, and I move on, and you win this teaser. Um, yeah, let me close it out here with my last bet of the week, and that is going to be under. 42 and a half in the Bengals at the Dolphins this week. 42 and a half is pretty low, and I'm still going to go under. Basically, my thinking here is the Dolphins play very slow. The Bengals play very slow now that they lost Joe Burrow. Uh, They were playing faster before then as far as pace of play goes. I really think the Miami defense is going to completely shut down the Bengals offense. Like, I don't think the Bengals offense will score a touchdown in this game. I think the Dolphins will play pretty conservatively. And just, you know, bank on their defense to win them this game, not let Ryan Fitzpatrick do crazy things to lose it. I am a little worried about a defensive or a special teams touchdown, specifically from the Dolphins. That is probably the one way this game goes over, in my opinion. But I'm going to say that doesn't happen. I'm going to say the Dolphins probably win this game like 24 to 3. And this game goes safely under 42 and a half. So I'm going to bet my remaining 110 to win 100 right there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's certainly, I mean, whatever. It, it, it's an under, so it is a it, bet. It, yeah, it, it is a bet. <laughs> I, I I think it could go either way. I, I that didn't like stand out in the, like on the board to me specifically. I think usually when you get a team like the Bengals, who are probably going to turn the ball over, it usually leads to points. And the Dolphins also don't really have any running backs, so I don't know how much they're going to run the ball, but um. I don't. I don't hate it. It's it's a total. It it could certainly hit for you. Yeah. Okay. Like your like your brimming confidence there. My bet. Appreciate that. <laughs> I I, uh, I love your other three bets a lot more than that one. I will say that. Yeah. Okay. That's definitely fair. I'm gonna try to basically go three for four, and if I go four for four, that would be great. But uh, yeah. I mean, I really think it's gonna be a big week for us, and we need it because we need to get back up there, and I need to get back up in the two thousand range. You need to get you know, close to a thousand so we can start flirting with three, 4,000 on the podcast, you know? Yeah, it it would, it would certainly be nice. Uh, with that being said, I think that's probably all that we've got. This was, uh, sort of a longer episode than usual, but that's, that's, that's no problem. You're welcome people. (laughs) So, uh, you know, if you're on iTunes, please make sure to, you know, leave a review and, uh, five star the podcast. If you're on Spotify, we appreciate your listenership. Um, Make sure to interact with us at Cash Landing Pod on Twitter. We love to see all your winning and even losing lineups. Um, if we led you astray, I would love to get yelled at, honestly. Um, yeah, and with that being said, I guess uh, everybody have a have a good weekend, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Good luck, everyone.